Hi, I'm Andy Baragani, the author of The Cook You Want to Be, Everyday Recipes to Impress. And uh, one thing that you might not know about me, and certainly I think a lot of former colleagues and friends don't know about me, is that I used to be the assistant to the stylist of Rihanna. And yes, she is beautiful as she looks. And I spent a lot of time putting duct tape on shoes, which I think only if you work in fashion, you would understand. <laughs> I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that skips the pretense and asks chefs and talented cooks the question, what is your one recipe? The one you'd make when you're not on the clock. The one you might just feel spiritually connected to. Well, this week, we're cooking in style with Andy Baragani. You probably know Andy from his recipe development and video work at Bon Appetit and Tasting Table. But you might not know about his lengthy history as a cook. Or more recently, for being the New York Times bestselling author of the new book, The Cook You Want to Be. Andy's calling in from his book tour, so you might hear a little bit of background noise. Hey, Andy. Hi, Jesse. <laughs> so good to talk. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel very grateful and happy and exhausted, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can only imagine. So you have announced your book tour. You are making the rounds with your book. How has it been? Does it feel good to actually have it out in the world? I feel so happy. I, I'm always on the verge of like tearing up. That's the truth. But <laughs> I'm just I'm just happy that people are buying the book and I'm hoping that it resonates with people. And that's just my greatest wish. I just hope people buy it and love it. That's all I could ask for. Oh my gosh. I'm sure you've made it so, so easy. So first, can you tell us a little bit about the book for people who don't already know? Yes. So the book is called The Cook You Want to Be, Everyday Recipes to Impress. I thought about writing a book for many years and I was approached about writing a book, but I kind of held off until I really felt, well, until I really felt like I had something to say. I think working in food media for so long, I've been so lucky to see so many incredible cookbooks come out over the years and see all the kind of trends that have come and go, whether it's food photography or styling or propping and the different kind of voices of each author. And so I really did kind of wait until it felt right. And so I thought, like, what is going to feel kind of unique and personal to me? I grew up obsessed with food at a very, very early age. But then I kind of went into professional kitchens and worked my way up in restaurants, never went to culinary school, and then kind of pivoted. And you don't often see this, but went into food media and left the, the restaurant industry. And that kind of took a whole other life on its own. And so with all this kind of space and, and these kind of different experiences, they've kind of contributed to this kind of food identity of mine. And so I've learned a lot of lessons throughout my life thus far as a cook. And so my goal was to kind of distill those lessons and put it in this book. And so it's a book about uh, personal stories and lessons that I've learned thus far to empower the reader, the home cook, to discover the cook they want to be. I, I really can't imagine a better person to write this specific book. Like ever since, you know, we worked together at BA, you you were very much that person who was like one of the first to start talking to shy home cooks or the, the home cooks that were a little less experienced. And 
you always took the time to just kind of break it down, say, hey, it's not that scary. It's just different. Yeah. So I, I'm so glad that this thing is out in the world. But I'm not here to go down memory lane as much as I want to. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know, what is your one recipe? Oh, my God. All right. I got to tell you, <laughs> I really struggled with this. It's very it, it's hard. I don't know how people do it. And I went back and forth, and then I realized I should really choose the recipe that probably is a recipe that I would want to pass down. If I ever have kids or I have a nephew now, I want to make sure that he knows this recipe, and that is Persian rice or uh, cello, polo, as we say. And I just thought there's no other recipe that I, I could choose. There's so many recipes that I love in this book, but that one is has the most significance. It is the recipe that I think has the shortest list of ingredients, I think maybe five, maybe four actually, uh, without including salt, but it is the longest recipe in the book. And I felt very strongly about that because I wanted to provide a lot of kind of background and the cultural context and the really the reasoning of why why I do each step and really why, why the Iranian community does each step for preparing that rice. All right, so Andy, Tell me how you make it. So you start with using uh, basmati rice. You want a long grain rice. And uh, we can have a whole other segment about just like sourcing basmati rice. But you're looking for a basmati rice that almost has like a, a golden beigey tint to it. It almost should be ashy. It shouldn't be pearly white. That tells you that it's been aged properly. That makes it more fragrant. So that's what you're looking for. And then the first step is to... Rinse the rice, and I know people probably roll their eyes hearing that, but it is essential, this step. Uh, by rinsing the rice, whether you kind of put it in a strainer or in a bowl and cover it with water and agitate it with your fingers, that's how I like to do it, you're removing the excess starch. And by removing the excess starch from the rice, you're allowing the rice to be fluffy and not stick together, which is what we're going for. We want light and airy rice. We don't want it to kind of stick together. You want to be able to make up each grain uh, once it's done. And then the next step is soaking the rice in water, heavily salted water. And this does a few mm -hmm. things. One, it continues to remove that excess starch, but it also hydrates the rice and it cuts the, the cooking time. And so that when the rice goes in, it's less likely kind of to break. And it also is the time where you're, you're seasoning. You're getting a kind of the initial, initial seasoning of the rice with that salty liquid. And then you strain that rice. I usually soak it for maybe, maybe an hour at least, but you could do six, seven hours if you want. You could definitely do it earlier on. And then you get a big pot of boiling water, salted, and then you add the rice to it, and the drained rice, I should say, and then give it a few stirs to prevent any of the rice from sticking at the bottom. And then you watch, and this is where kind of practice makes perfect. You're waiting for the rice to kind of start to kind of rise to the surface and dance. You're not cooking the rice all the way through here. You're, you're parboiling it. You, if you take a few grains and you sample it, it should still have a bite to it. So you're going for them to kind of elongate and dance to the surface, but still not fully cooked and tender. And so that happens anywhere from, I find, as little as three, four minutes and upwards of like eight, nine minutes. It really depends on how long you soak and the age of your rice. So for people who may be trying to make this recipe as time efficient as possible, is it really worth 
even soaking the rice if you only have maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes? Or do you really need that hour? I will say if you need to cut a step, the soaking is the step that you cut. I'm not going to... All the mamans, the khadas, the entire Iranian community, I can hear them. Don't come after me. I'm just trying to really make have people cook this rice as much as possible. Um, I, and I, I say that only because I have done that before. I have been short on time. Mm-hmm. I do think soaking even for... Uh, 10, 15 minutes does make a difference. Uh, but if there is a step yeah. that you need to cut, I will say it's the soaking part. Okay. So once these grains are dancing, they're beautiful, they're they're starting to boil or come mm-hmm. up to the top of the water. It's been about three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. What comes next? Then you drain it again. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> you, you rinse it with cold water, room temp water. You're just trying to stop the rice from cooking any further. And then you let it drain. And then from here, you're really going to start building your tadik, the bottom of the pot, that scorched rice that so many people love. If A lot of people who don't know much about Iranian cuisine, they seem to know about, about tadik. Can you explain what a tadik is for people who may not have heard of it before? So when you're finishing the rice, the last part where you're, you're steaming the rice and, and, until it becomes fluffy and tender, at the very bottom of the pot, the rice will scorch and you'll have this wonderful crust called the tadik and this can be made with rice it could be made with potatoes it could be made with bread i've seen it be made with certain vegetables and there's many different variations Uh, some people will use fat a dairy product a mixture of the two add saffron i have my own way that we'll talk about it but (laughs) i think the the goal is for a kind of evenness you know you want a golden brown hue and you get that golden brown color really from by using saffron water. Not everybody will use it or they might not use it all the time because obviously saffron is expensive. But I think that is that is what makes great tadik. It should have that saffron color hue and the evenness to the crust. Oh, already sounds gorgeous. Can you take us through that tail end of that recipe? Yes. So once you have your parboiled, drained rice, you are left with the kind of empty pot. And what I do for kind of my my go-to tadik recipe is I mix yogurt, full-fat yogurt, typically plain yogurt, not Greek. But if you have Greek, you could just thin it out with a little bit of water. And then uh, some kind of neutral oil, safflower oil, canola, vegetable oil. Uh, whatever you have, and then saffron water, which really is taking about a teaspoon of saffron threads and then grinding it up. I like to use a mortar and pestle, but however way you can. You really want to grind it up to a powder and then adding three tablespoons of hot water. This way you are extracting the color and the fragrance from the saffron and you have this amazing saffron water to use. And I will add about a tablespoon of that to the yogurt and the oil mixture. And then I'll fold some of the par-cooked rice, about, let's say, two cups of par-cooked rice, and just fold it all together and so you have this yogurty saffron rice. And then I'll take that and I'll pat it down on the bottom of the pot. And then I will layer the rest of the rice, the kind of unadorned plain rice, up top. I'll shape mm-hmm. it like a big mountain top. And then I'll poke a few holes to allow the steam to escape. And then I cover it with a lid. And you'll still have some saffron water left over, but I use that saffron water to dye the rice after it's been uh, finished steaming. And I let that, uh, I just place that, uh, the pot 
I started off like medium high heat for about anywhere from like six to eight minutes to really get the tajik to start to form and set. And then I reduce mm-hmm. it to kind of medium low and let that go anywhere from like 20 minutes to 30, 35 minutes, depending on obviously how much rice you're making and how wide your pot is. And then I just lift the rice up and add a few tablespoons of butter and then the leftover saffron water. And I just kind of fold it with the wooden spoon or, or spatula. And then you have two options on how you want to serve it. You can either invert it, which just by taking a serving platter, placing it on top of the pot, and then grabbing the two handles and just like give the kisses to all the kind of the aunties <laughs> and hope that it will all go well. And then you just invert the pot. It takes a little bit of finesse. Again, practice makes perfect. And then you'll have a crust that has, it will look like a kind of a rice cake of sorts. But then the other way, which I think is more of a foolproof way, if you don't want to take any risks, it's actually the way my mom always did it. She would just layer the rice onto a platter and then she would break the tadik on the bottom into these kind of small shard pieces and then would serve that and place that on top of the rice. It already sounds like one of those like perfect recipes for new cooks or cooks that are still expanding their horizons because it's a case study in learning how to both think about building flavor and the look of that final dish in steps instead of trying to do it all in one big rush or one big sprint so that uh, you end up with this beautiful thing. <laughs> I'm ready to eat now. I know, seriously, I oh can go for a bowl of rice. <laughs> well, Thank you so much for taking the time to break it down. This was lovely. I'm so excited for you in this book, and I, I can't wait for so many other people to to start becoming the cooks they want to be as well. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Andy Baragani is the author of The Cook You Want to Be. You can find that recipe for chelba tadig and Persian rice on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Eric Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Cameron Wiley, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic this week. <laughs>